Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 7 is where we'll be. Jesus had just sent his 12 disciples out. He's, they're now called apostles. That's what the word apostle means. It means sent. Anybody wonder what the word apostle meant? I've said it three weeks in a row. Should we should all have that covered. It means sent. And Jesus said as they were sending him out this first initial time, as he's sending him out the first initial time, he's going to kind of get them to just trust him. And so he says to them, don't bring any money, don't bring any food, don't bring any extra clothes, just go. And he sent them out most likely in twos. And they were, however, given power and authority by Jesus Christ over sickness and demons, Luke tells us. If you read Matthew's account of the same thing in Matthew chapter 10, it tells us they were commanded to proclaim the message of the kingdom. They were commanded to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And they were to do that by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, driving out demons. And Jesus said, freely you've received, freely you've been given, basically freely give away. So God had given them authority and power to do the work that he had called them to do. Amen? How many of us uh, have been called to things that are way bigger than anything we could ever do? And just looking at that, we just shrink away. What God calls you to, He will empower you to do. But it's going to require you to trust Him and to surrender. And so this first trip, they're going out, they don't have anything. And so as they went, uh, uh, basically that's what happened. People were delivered from demons, they were healed, they were freed, the gospel was preached People came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and as people were healed and the demons are fleeing, the name of Jesus is now reaching places it never reached before. It reached all the way into the political realm, into the palace where King Herod was, who was a godless man. In verse 7, where we pick up today, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch, governor basically, or king, uh, heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. That's John the Baptist. Others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have all this type of stuff. It wasn't like Jesus was Twittering every five minutes, you know, what he was doing. It was all word of mouth, not even carrier pigeon probably. But Herod had imprisoned and then executed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. They come before the Messiah, come before the one who would be the Christ, the Savior of the world, basically, of Israel uh, from the Jewish perspective. And John started preaching, and he preached a gospel of repentance. And he, when, he, when Herod said, hey, come do a trick for me, I want you to go ahead and, you know, entertain me. Basically, Herod called him out. I mean, John called Herod out on his uh, relationship with his brother's wife, whom he kind of took from his wife and then married. And so he just calls him out on it. And then Herod didn't like that. And so he imprisoned him. And it says, for fear of the people, because Herod's a people pleaser, for fear of the people, he didn't kill him, although he wanted to, and eventually got in a situation that Mark tells us about um, where he actually did have John the Baptist executed. And so Jesus is popping up on the scene. Things are happening, and people are going, hey, maybe it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. 
And, and, and he's just kind of got a guilty conscience, the other Gospels talk about, and he's wondering, what in the world is going on? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is this guy? And now, really, there was no one greater than John the Baptist that Jesus said uh, as among, among the prophets. And people are being healed now by demons, and they're, and they're fleeing, and the message of the kingdom is being spread. And people began to form all kinds of opinions about who Jesus was. And especially because it was a religious culture, they're trying to to go through their um, Googling of all their scripture in their head and going, who is this? Where does he fit? Who is this guy? One of the thoughts was that he might be Elijah, who was prophesied to come before the day of judgment. If you read in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, uh, it says, <clears throat> See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful uh, day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And so they were all waiting for Elijah. Even now when they have their Seder feast, they leave a place at the table waiting for Elijah. It's, it's kind of a, a superstition now on their part. But in general, the people were, were going, okay, we know Elijah's going to come back and he's going to do something really awesome before the day of judgment. And they're thinking, maybe this is him. And now they see Jesus, and they're going, perhaps he is the one. And Jesus said of John that actually John was that forerunner, that he operated within the spirit and the power of Elijah. I don't want to get into that this morning, but there's a lot of points of view that people could not nail down who Jesus Christ was. And we still have that thing in our society now, people say a lot of things about who Jesus was. And if you go to people and you'll go to intellectuals and stuff, oh yeah, he was a good teacher. And you go, yeah, Jesus was a great teacher. However, a little bit more than that. You talk to religious people and they'll say he is a prophet. Even the Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. You go talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that he is an angel. Talk to the Mormons. They believe he is the brother of Lucifer. And so a lot of people have opinions about Jesus Christ. We'll circle back to that in a little bit. But the same is with Herod. In verse 9, Herod says, I beheaded John, who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. He tried to see him. I find it really interesting, church. This is something the Lord's been speaking in my heart about recently. I find it very interesting that Jesus never responded to Herod's attempts to see him. Now, I don't know about you, but if the governor says, hey, I want to talk to you, you know, I'd be like, wow, well, that's a great opportunity to share the Lord or to get, you know, to get a political in or whatever it might be. You know, you start thinking in those terms, and Jesus is like, no. Even with Pharisees, when they had said to him, hey, uh, you know, you better get out of here because Herod's trying to kill you because Jesus never took his appointment. They said, you go tell that fox that I'm going to continue to do what I'm going to do and, <laughs> you know, and I'll, ra I'll raise again on the third day. I'm going to heal the sick and all this type of stuff and I'll, I'll die and I'll be raised on the third day. And so the more I examine Jesus' life and interactions, the more that I realize that Jesus was not interested in politics of the day, nor of legislation, nor seeking out any political or earthly powers to persuade. How, do, how many, does that rub you wrong, anybody? You got any fundamentalists in here? 
flag-waving, toting people like me. I love Jesus. I love America. Yeah, 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 God. If we could only just turn America around by getting some ends with some political people and getting the laws changed, then the hearts of the people would surely follow. <laughs> Parents, how many rules do you set up for your kids? Does that change your heart, their hearts? <laughs> of course, there is a role for government, amen? It's to preserve evil, and so laws are to be enacted. They are to be put there by God to stop evil things from happening. God is, is not a libertarian. He, he believes very much so that, you know, do not murder, do not kill. This is right, this is wrong. And if you cross those lines, there's punishment. The government, that's good for a civil society. God set that up. Romans 13, verse Peter chapter 2. You can have fun with that for homework. But when Jesus finally had an audience with Herod, it was at Jesus' trial before he was about to be executed. And what did Jesus say to Herod? Anybody remember? Nothing. That's right. He didn't say anything. I would be doing my pitch. I'd have my PowerPoint. And I have my chart, my pie chart. Anybody else? Of why the kingdom is great. He didn't say anything. And I also find it interesting that it was Jesus' followers that kept trying to get Jesus to interact in political things. Anybody else? Did you see that in Scripture? When are you going to have the kingdom? Am I going to be like your chief of staff? When, what's, you know, and they kept on jockeying for position. And Jesus kept talking to them going, my kingdom is not of this world. This is not how it's working out. I'm not First time is a kingdom of the heart. Second time, yes, I'm going to touch down and straighten things out. And you will rule with me. He was talking to his disciples and us, by the way. But first time, it's a kingdom of the heart. Jesus' main mission was the gospel. Jesus' main mission was the gospel. Ready, everybody? Say it with me. Jesus' main mission was the gospel. To change men's hearts. The church's main mission is, guess what? The gospel. Ready? Say it to me again. The church's main mission is the gospel. My main mission is the gospel. My main mission is the gospel. What's your main mission? The gospel. And you happen to be placed in various strategic places by the Lord Jesus Christ to go proclaim and live out the, the gospel. Places I could never reach or influence. You're there. Amen? I love that. You want to affect people's views on, on marriage? Do you want to affect people's views on marriage? You preach the gospel to them. And when they're born again and they're changed, they're going to see it God's way. Amen? When, if you want to affect people's view on abortion, you preach the gospel to them. And the Holy Spirit, when they're born again, will convict their hearts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And they will change their views and be broken and receive the forgiveness of God on that. Amen? Yes, we have the government, and it's to restrain evil. And I do not think it is a sin for us to, in, to vote and to sign petitions and to get in, engaged in things and all that type of stuff where we want to influence the kingdom of God. That's not what I'm saying. But that is not your primary mission. Legislation does not change hearts. God gave you Ten Commandments. How are you doing on that? 
No, but see, when a person has the Spirit of God within them, if we go for the temporal, if we go for the political, if we go for all those types of things as our primary thing, we've missed it. We've missed it. And I know that's hard for some of us to hear. You know, it's interesting, as I've been reading First Peter at the Christian Aid Center, something struck me as I was reading there. It says to submit to all authorities. It says to submit to all laws, authorities, and governments, and all that type of stuff. What do you think about that? Now, Peter and the boys were living under such better circumstances than us, where for every one free person, there were three slaves. Did Jesus preach against slavery? Did he say slavery was good? No, he's not. He actually used slavery in all of his, of his parables because that was what was going on in culture. He says, slaves, obey your masters. It's a wicked, horrible world we live in. This is not our home. But how are those people who are in darkness ever going to see light unless someone in that sphere shines Christ to them in an oppressive situation? Amen? Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> how many of you are having difficulty with that? Of course, you know how I'm talking about that stuff. I'm not talking about getting beat around all that stuff, but I'm... I am saying that there are circumstances where you've got to shine the, Christ, the light of Christ in difficult circumstances over long periods of time for them, the Lord to soften their hearts and they come to be changed. That's what parenting is about. But the church is to proclaim the gospel. That's our primary command. And if it sounds like you don't want to do that, that's because it's the way of the Spirit. It's not the way of the world. It's contrary to how we think. Let God change us from the inside out. Now, if you are involved in those things, praise God, but is your primary focus in all that the gospel? Or is it get to people to see your political way, to line up with Christian culture? You can win all those arguments, but you can lose the soul. Amen? Amen? There's a lot of people in, 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 in the church who line up with the Christian culture, even biblical values and stuff like that, but they're dead as doornails. And we think, or I think, or whatever it might be, that they must be saved because they have these views, when truly it needs to come the other way around, that the Lord changes the heart, and then how we view all these things would change. So Jesus wouldn't see Herod. I think that's my little sidestep there. Jesus wouldn't see Herod, but verse 10 says, when the apostles returned, it says, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, which is somewhere on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee there. Jesus' 12 apostles returned, and they reported to Jesus. And it was at this time that Jesus learns that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Matthew 14 kind of enlightens us in that. And when Jesus heard this news, he departed by boat privately with his disciples to a solitary place. 
which we read here in Luke, is a town called Bethsaida. It doesn't say exactly why Jesus retreated. It could be a combination that he wanted to get a debrief with his disciples and pray, which is, which is very likely. But I think also he was mourning the death of John. And so he is pulled away in verse 11. And then it says, but the crowds learned about it and they followed him. How many of you have had a hard day ever and just want to be alone? Anybody? How many of you have kids that just don't care about that? (laughs) They're having a harder day or they have needs. Amen? Anyone? We talk about alone time. You know, I'm so thankful that we see that God doesn't necessarily want to have alone time. Aren't you happy about that? It's on display in verse 11. Jesus wanted to be alone and in solitary, but people in need came to him, and so what did Jesus do? Notice his heart there. But the crowds learned, and they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he what? He healed those who needed healing. God is never too busy for you this morning. God is never too busy for you. What do you got going on? You overwhelmed? He's never too busy for you. Run into his throne room. Receive help and grace in the time of need, Hebrews tells us. Are you in need this morning? Do you need him to speak into your, the dryness of your soul and in your life? You've got a circumstances you need wisdom on. He's there for you. How many of you need help with your body? It's just failing you. You need encouragement. You need hope. We all know the trajectory as we're, we're, we're going down, Right? <laughs> Oh, Lord, strengthen me. You know, it's like, well, how about, a, how about, I, how about I, I can do that? And he does quite often give us physical strength for the day that we have ahead of us. And we know that and we ask for that and we pray for that. But also, how many of you, in spite of your circumstances, when the Lord just ministers to your heart, it gives you hope that you can go on for the rest of the day, even though you're suffering? That's powerful. And that's a testimony to the loss. I'm thankful that we see the heart of God on display in there in verse 11. He welcomed them. Do you need strength? Are you fatigued in your mind and your body? Uh, Psalm 46.1 tells us, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Jesus welcomed them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and He healed those who needed healing. Notice Jesus met their spiritual need and their physical need. I love that about the Lord. He's going to speak to us about things that are going on in our hearts and lives regarding the kingdom. He's also going to practically work things out in you and through you. But God's compassion didn't stop here. He's going to actually give them lunch or dinner, whatever it is here. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And he replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. <laughs> Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there and who knows how many more women and children. And so we call it the feeding of the 5,000 plus is what it is. Here the disciples are showing concern for the people. They have concern for the people. As they're ministering to people, they have concern for them. And that is a good thing for a disciple they need to leave, and they need to go home, and they need to eat. They're all getting hungry. And there wasn't a Burger King nearby. 
you know? Well, there was a technically a Burger King, but a different kind of Burger King. But they, uh, Jesus, never mind. Uh, <laughs> that's a bad joke. Sorry, Lord. I'll work on that. <laughs> but they're in a remote place. It's interesting, we were, we were driving up from California, and there are large stretches of nothing in the middle of central California, and there's just hours where you need to pace if you're going to eat. You know, you need to figure out what you're doing. Um, but this was a wilderness, and there was nothing for them to eat. And so they tell Jesus to send them away. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You know, this is often how God works in us, in you, in the church. This is how He works. As you are following Jesus, as you're loving Jesus, He gives you a concern. He gives you a concern. Any of you have a concern this morning? Like, you just seem to be more concerned about something than, uh, than other people. You just have a concern. Man, this person just like needs help. Or this situation, I mean, how are we going to do this or that? You have a concern, man. The people are hungry was their concern. And then we often go to God with that concern like the disciples is. The disciples went to Jesus and they explained the concern. But sometimes we end up telling Him what to do and how to do it. Have you ever done that? God, there's this going on, and you need to blah, blah, blah. And, well, I'll just wait for you to do that. And then the Lord redirects us into His plan. No, you do it. You feed them. And then, what are you faced with? The reality that you can't feed them. It's bigger than you. Does that sound like God? Yeah. Why would God call you into something that's bigger than you? And to where you don't have the resources, you don't have the ability, you don't have anything. Why would God call you into something like that? So that you can get the glory? So that He can get the glory. So that He can do something in and through you who... Who is humble and has nothing. You know, and then when we see that enormity of God's plan and see our own inability, we can often begin to give excuses of why we can't do what He told us to do. Anybody ever been there? We only have five loaves and two fish, Lord. I don't think you're, you understand what's going on here. Lord, we only have this. Fill in the blank. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough courage. I don't have enough words. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough desire, whatever. Fill in the blank. And then Jesus goes and he tells them what to do. He tells us what to do. He says, give me what you have. The other gospels record, give it to me. And they hand him these loaves and fish, five loaves, two fish. If we had five loaves, two fish with 50 people, is that working out very well? Look at us. Give me what you have. Verse 14 happens. Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
If we're smart, we do what Jesus says and how He says it. Amen? <laughs> Jesus starts to give them insight and in how it's going to happen. I want you to make them sit down in groups of 50. And then verse 15, the disciples did so. That's a good thing. When Jesus tells you to do something, it's really important that you do it. And everyone sat down. That's great. And I love Psalm 23. And He makes us lie down in green pastures by still waters. And there they are in the Sea of Galilee. And He restores my soul. That's our shepherd. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke it. And then... What did he do with that? He gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up how many basketfuls left over? Twelve. Jesus likes to illustrate things to his disciples. Oh, look at that. You each have a basket left over. What do you think that's about? They're all standing there going, oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't just bread, it was fish. Both. They had a lunch basket. And these are small baskets. He's going to do it again, and then he's going to do large baskets. It's really interesting. But have them sit down. And Jesus took it. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples. The disciples distributed it, and they were satisfied. I just love it. Jesus put a desire in their hearts that only Jesus could make happen. Jesus put a desire in their heart that only He could make happen. That's what He wants to do with the church. That's what He wants to do with you and me. And the obstacles to achieving God's will was, to, was, was overcome when they committed what they had to the Lord and did what He said, how He said, in simple faith and obedience. Trust and obey. Not looking at the circumstances, but just simply stepping out in obedience to what He said for them to do. And God is calling us as disciples and as a church to situations where the solution is too big for us. It's too big. I don't want to serve a small, puny God that, can, that I can figure things out on. I want it to be so big that... Only God has to come through, and when, they, and when the world sees the answer, when we see Him come through, who gets the glory? God. And that's why when Jesus did miracles that no one else could do, they looked at Jesus, and who did they glorify? The Father in heaven. They go, that must be God. No one's doing those things. That's Him. God is calling us as disciples and as a church to situations where the solution is too big for us, where we don't have the resources to meet that need. need. This morning, we're in a group of somewhere between 50 and 100. God has told me, just teach the Word. So I go through and I I take my loaves and fish and read read chapter 9, and I go, okay, Lord, here's what I have. And then he says, okay, now go give that to the people. How can I possibly get to each one of you and thoroughly counsel each one of you in every single area this morning? It's just too big. No way. 
And so God gives me the word, and, and, and as I just teach it, what is he doing? He is speaking to your hearts and minds. Make no doubt he uses personality and all that kind of stuff, but really, I hope it's the Lord speaking to you in an area, and you're popping in the things that the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, that's the big thing that I'm going to do in and through you. And there's the application that he actually makes, and that's why quite often I don't put the application right in front of you because I trust the Holy Spirit is actually working that in and through you. I don't know what it is. And so, as the spiritual food of God is put in the hands of God, then He gives it out and hands it out. And I pray that you're going to be eaten satisfied this morning because Christ's spiritual provision for you this morning, Him. But you know, God has put ministry into your hearts if you're His. He has put a call and a plan and a heart in, in your life, something that is bigger than you. Because Christ is in you. And He desires to do in and through you what you cannot do. And you are looking probably at your ability and you're going, I can't do that. And many of you have gone, because I can't do that, I will not try goodbye. And God says, I put you in this place where it's bigger than you so that I can come and do something through you, and you will know, and they will know, that it's not you, it's me. And you get to worship me through it, and be used, and humbled. You see, God puts that in your heart, so that He could take the little that you have, the little time, the little money, the little faith, whatever it may be, a little love, a little discipline, and to put it in His hands and faithfully do what He says as you follow Him, how He says it, and watch His mighty power accomplish it so that He will get the glory and you just stand there with the baskets of the leftovers. How many of you would like to see that day? I do too. And I've seen it happen over and over. God's provision. I remember... I shared this, but I, I remember when I was just coming to the Lord, I no skill whatsoever, failing college, uh, you know, classes or community college classes and working in a bowling alley or a waiter. I can't remember what I was doing. And, and just aimless in life, right? And um, the Lord brought me in. He put a desire in my heart. He said, you know, hey, I want you to play guitar. And, uh, you know, I, w- I put a heart for you to go travel. And I'm going, okay, wait, I'm going to grit, you know. Is this like hippie vision or what's going on here? No, I mean, I just had started following the Lord and, and, and there was a desire for me to somehow be employed in the music business and also, you know, travel. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just go work at a guitar store or something like that. It was that week that the elders of the church came up to me and, and said to me, hey, we've been praying and we would like you to, um, we'd like you to basically, we want you to come on staff part-time as a worship leader. I'm like, what? And then they said, oh, by the way, we'd like you to go on a mission trip to the Philippines. I'm like, okay, well, what in the world? Worship leader of a church of 200 people. Now, that's like several times more than this. I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. I still don't read music. All that stuff. God brought me a wife who does. 
<laughs> Amen. <laughs> I no ability to do anything like that. And God took me, and I was leading groups of, I don't know, 40 people at, at a time sometimes, in playing in front of you know, a couple thousand people at events and things like that, and God grew the church to 750 people, and I mean, it just, it went out of control. He sent, I'm like, I can't afford to go, I have holes in my shoes. I, I can't get to the other side of the earth, and people just gave towards it, and I went. The guitar I have, I didn't have a guitar. The church bought me a guitar. This is not, I, I've never paid for a guitar. I wanted to, Believe me, I mean, who doesn't want to buy a guitar? But then the Lord provides these things. I mean, just over and over and over, and there was just nothing in me that was, I couldn't do it. And God just showed up big time. How many of you want to have the Lord just work in and through you in your life, that what you have remaining? Take and, and lay it down at His feet. And part of the problem is some of, it, some of us have too much confidence in what we have. And Jesus will walk up to you and say, sell what you've got and give it to the poor. It's a stumbling block to what I want to do in and through you. Flat out. You know, I think where we're headed as a church is, is going to be really practical and stuff. I want to... This fall, I want to focus a little bit more on, on marriage ministry, and there's a seven-week series I, I want to do by Francis Chan called You and Me Forever in Light of Eternity. It's not your typical marriage series. It's, it's, it's basically, when we get to heaven, there is no marriage. And what is marriage about on earth? God designed it. It's about the kingdom. And what does that look like in raising our kids or grandkids in our resources in our life? And what does it look like? What at the end of our days, is it the accumulation of stuff? Is it jobs? Is it making sure that we've got all the acreage and we can give an inheritance to our kids and they can go blow it because they didn't earn it? You know, I'm just real, real, you know, I mean, really. I think, we're, I think we're really searching for these things in our heart as I've talked to many men. Do we long for what is it we're truly made to do? And we're truly made for this stuff to be humble and to take what we have and put it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, do something great. I have a heart for this, but it's too big for me. Anybody long for that? Four of us. Awesome. Four. We'll do it. I'll take the four and I'll put them in Jesus' hands. Let's go. Amen? I know all you do. But even as we look at our church budget, Here's the frame in which we can, we, can, we can serve God. No. Let's just see what God does as we are spirit-led, as God puts a need on us as a fellowship, and we just see it, and we're going, well, that's bigger than our church budget. Let's step out and say, okay, Lord, if you don't show up, we're sunk. Anybody want to do that? I want to do that. I want to do that personally. I want to see Him Him. Uh, my strategies stink, as you know. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing, no. We want to see God, amen? In and through us, amen, church? You want to see God in your life? God puts things into our hearts and our minds that, that He wants to do. 
that are too big for you, and He will empower you to do what He's called you to do. He will give it to you. Some of you are struggling in relationships this morning. You go, no way. I don't have it. Put it in the hands of Jesus. Trust Him this morning. Amen? Some of you are financially having issues. Maybe God's teaching you something, but God can do anything in a, in a night, in a day. He can do whatever He wants to do. Emotionally, some of you are looking at your neighbors going, there's no way I can go across the street and share the Lord with them. It's just too, I just, God, I don't have it in me. I'm so nervous and I'm so scared and I have no idea. God might just plop another believer in your path and go, let's go over there together. And you know what I'm saying? Whatever God would do, He can do it. I don't want to be the person or the church. I don't want us to be the church that looks at the, at the boundaries of what our limitations um, upon our, what we have physically, but I want to look to a giant, huge God and say, God, what do you want to do with this circumstance? Because I love you, and you love them, and I think our hearts beat together on this, and so what do you want to do about it, and how do you want to do it, and this is all I have, and then you start stepping out, and He guides and directs you. No, do this, do that, do that. And by the way, He multiplies in ways that we'd never expect. I want to be that church that takes the five loaves and the two fish and put them in the hand of Jesus, and at His command, they're broken and distributed. And I believe the Lord is going to call, is calling, and is going to call us to some open doors, not only to continue to minister like in the Christian Aid Center and other practical places to Liberty Christian School and the building, the facility, and all that stuff, but I think He's going to call us to some pretty radical ministry soon, where we might be affecting things in some pretty hairy places in the part of the world. In the part of the world. And I'm going to step out in faith uh, with the elder board as we seek God, and, and, and we would love for you to be ready in your hearts for these things, in our marriages, in our families, locally, but also just the heart to say, God, what do you want to do through us? Jesus is on the throne. He's mighty. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's calling us to be good stewards, yes. But good stewards does not mean misers. It does not mean put it in the ground. It means go and take what I've given you, invest it in the kingdom. And what happens? He comes back and says, great, you've been faithful with this much. Now go be blessed with this much. Stock market investing in the kingdom. (laughs) Amen? So, pray about your time, your talents, and your treasure. Refocus your life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why you have been saved. That is why you've been created. And think about your work. Think about your family. Think about all those places you've been as your mission field the Lord has put you to. He has put salt and light in those places. And pray for God's wisdom and grace. And you might be looking at this going, man, this is a godless place. There's no way that anyone would come to the Lord. Corinth was the most godless place in the world. And yet that seemed to be Paul had a, a massive explosion around that and around that area, Ephesus as well. But it took someone to stand and say, Lord, what do you want to do? So pray and ask the Lord to make your heart ready for what he's about to do in, our, in your marriage and family and through your 
church here, this, this, this small little humble flock that the Lord's given us, and our valley into the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? God, take those five loaves and two fish and do something amazing. Break them. Break us. Distribute us. We're yours. It was Jesus who multiplied the loaves and fish, and, and he gave it to the disciples to distribute. And the people, the ones who Jesus loved so much, they were satisfied. They were satisfied. God wants to use you to quench their souls. Amen? Are you in? And they all ate and satisfied, verse 17 says, and the disciples picked up those baskets. May God do that in and through us as we give him our lives to surrender. You know, as they gave, they ended up with more than they had in the beginning. And I'm sure that God took care of them with that, but he also wanted to go give them give it away again. <laughs> That's the way God works. So, here's a prayer for, for us. Lord, give me, give us a heart for your will. Lord, show me how I need to surrender my time, my talents, and my treasure for your kingdom. And Lord, empower me to do it. Also, pray for our marriages and our youth and our men and women ministries in these churches. God is doing great things. I want the Lord to continue to do those in our hearts. And also, lastly, that God would not only continue to bless our, our outreach to Christian Aid Center and everything that's going on there, but also that God would open a, a door for foreign missions that we could step out into. It seems like too big. We only have so much time, but he's big. So let's pray. Father, I, I ask that this morning that we, are, that we would be those loaves and fish just placed in your hand and that you would take us, Lord, who are, who are nothing, Lord, who are insignificant apart from you. We can't make a dent in anything apart from you. But in your hands, God, we, could, we can do anything, anything you want. So, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. Use our guitars, use our cars, our family, our lives, Lord. How we live, our jobs is all instruments for your gospel to go forward. Holy Spirit, unite us and lead us and use us in the diversity that you've, you've placed within this body, all the various giftings. The evangelists, Lord, would rise up. The helpers would rise up. The people who serve would rise up. The teachers would rise up. And we would all minister to one another, yes, and love one another, but send us. Let us be your hands and feet, Lord, this week. Fill us with your Holy Spirit because we can only accomplish this through you. To your glory, Father, to you alone, in the name of Jesus, amen.